Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Corey Emanuel, and you are now listening to Tough Talks. Good evening. My name is Kisha Edwards Gansey, and I'm the co founder of World Explorers Group. And I'm excited to bring you back again for another Tough Talk Tuesday. We have this evening again our resident expert and guidance counselor, Dr. Corey Emanuel. Um, we will be hearing from Dr. Corey tonight on the topic of gender and sexual identity how to talk to your children or those children that you care for about gender and sexual identity. This is a very present topic in our nations and our world's conscious. And we um, we hope to shed a lot of light tonight. And I'm excited to dig right in. I already have questions before you've even said anything. So I look forward to that. But right now I'm gonna pass the baton to you, Dr. Corey, and let's get started on gender and sexual identity. Absolutely. Thank you. Such a big topic, but I'm so happy to be invited back once again to just dig right in for something I know that a lot of parents, um, aunts, uncles, um, mentors, folks are just looking for some type of resource, some type of support as they venture into this world. I am Dr. Corey Emanuel, a media psychologist. Um, I always like to preference my tough talks with I am not a clinical psychologist. I'm a media psychologist, so I'm always looking at the intersection of television, film, social media, and particularly childhood psychology and mental health, uh, which brings us to these tough talks where we're really looking for answers to help us in our parenting and just being there in a supportive way for our kids as they go through adolescent development. So first things first, what brings you here today? I feel like there's probably maybe three possible buckets of people that might be joining us for this particular tough talk. One could be that you have a child that identifies as LGBTQ+, right? And so we will unpack that a little bit tonight. You might have a child that is questioning, right? They're, they're in an exploration period of their life um, where they're questioning their own gender or sexual identity. And then you also might just be here because you want to be an ally. You might be in a mentor position. You might be a teacher at school. Perhaps you don't have kids, but you hold space for a lot of kids, right? And so we will be speaking really to anyone that might find themselves at this intersection tonight. I always like to start my tough talks with a little bit of research. You know, what do we know about gender and sexual identity, not just for our kids, but for us as a human race, right? So we do know that awareness of romantic attraction typically begins prior to puberty. Um, and we know that, that that puberty range now uh, is just all over the place. There's no like, okay, age 13, um, young boys, young girls, you know, oftentimes six, seven years old even now will begin um, puberty. So awareness of romantic attraction will begin often prior to puberty. Um, identity and attraction are not always aligned. What I mean by that is just because someone might be questioning their sexual identity or their gender, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's tied to some type of sexual or romantic attraction to someone, um, which ties us into the third bullet. Sexual attraction, behavior, and identity are not always aligned. 
a person primarily attracted to women may also have sexual contact with men and may not identify as gay, bisexual, or straight. So that's another one of the reasons why we're having this conversation tonight is there's a lot of layers to gender and sexual identity, right? All of this sort of culminates to this point that this fluidity may be true of both adolescents and adults, right? And is reported more frequently by females, which again, doesn't necessarily mean that men might not be questioning or um, even having identified uh, with LGBTQ plus or any of those labels. Uh, they might very well be having those feelings and those emotions, but they just may not be reporting it um, as some of our um, uh, young girls and women are. I often like to sort of present a spectrum in which you might see some of these things that we're gonna talk about tonight. So first up, um, we know most children typically develop the ability to recognize and label stereotypical gender groups, such as girl, woman, and feminine, and boy, man, and masculine, between ages 18 and 24 months. So even before they're two years old, they start to have labels and language around these things. Uh, most also categorize their own gender by age three. You know, we're using this language around our kids very early on. And so, of course, they're able to verbalize and put that into words at an early age. Minors are especially vulnerable to conversion therapy, uh, which can lead to depression, anxiety, drug use, homelessness, and suicide. So, again, going back to that mental health piece, you know, you have a lot of kids who are questioning, who do have questions, um, perhaps they already are identifying and they're being bullied. They don't have the support of their parents. Some parents go into panic mode and result to conversion therapy. And so we can see what the negative consequences are of that. Youth 12 to 14 years old who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender are much more likely to die by suicide than their heterosexual peers. And again, that's coming from both sides. That could be just your own personal mental anguish, um, not having an outlet, not having a sense of support. It could be bullying, you know, peer pressure, those types of things. And then also just uh, the family um, unit not being supportive and per perhaps even physically harmful to you. Um, a 2019 study of teens, diverse sexual identities found that many LGBTQ youth are identifying more with emerging sexual labels, including questioning their um, traditional labels. And so we'll get into that in just a moment as well. When you think of sexuality, I want you to think of it as a spectrum. You probably heard that before. But it's also a continuum, which means that sexual identity can evolve slowly over time. So um, what I want folks to sort of take away from this, this particular point is that while you may not see certain behaviors or even be having certain conversations with your child as early as three, four, five years old, you might find yourself having those conversations as they get into elementary school or middle school. So I know when we have these tough talks, we have parents sort of all across the spectrum. Um, and so what you might have not experienced with one child at age three, you might see that with another child at age three. So it just really um, varies. I think when you have conversations like this around gender and sexual identity, particularly talking to our kids, you've got to have some vocabulary, 
some keywords, some key terms in your arsenal when you enter these conversations. We could have a whole tough talk just on terms that uh, are used when it comes to uh, looking at your gender identity and sexual identity, but we're just going to focus on just some of the, the ones that we hear and see mo most frequently on this call, and perhaps at a later time we'll come back and visit some others. So um, when we think of the LGBTQ plus community, these are what we mean in terms of definition. So the L stands for lesbian, um, which who is a woman who's enduring uh, physical, romantic, and or emotional attraction is to other women. Um, some lesbians may prefer to identify as gay or gay women. Uh, gay, uh, the ad uh, adjective or the acronym for the G, uh, is used to describe people who's enduring physical, romantic, and or emotional attractions are to people of the same sex. Now, sometimes lesbian is the preferred term for women. So oftentimes, um, women who are attracted to women and date other women will use lesbian and men who are attracted to other men will use the term gay, but not always. Uh, bisexual is a person who has the capacity to form enduring physical, romantic, and or emotional attractions to those of the same gender or to those uh, or of another gender. Um, and I should probably say with that, with bisexuality too, that doesn't always align with sexual attraction as well. Um, someone can be bisexual and not, or identify as bisexual and not have had any experiences with the same um, gender or an opposite um, gender. Uh, transgender is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or gender expression differs from what is typically associated with the sex that they were assigned at birth. So if you've ever heard the, the term cisgender, we're talking about someone who continues to ascribe to the, the gender that they were born. Uh, queer is a, a term been around for a really long time. Um, it is an adjective used by some people whose sexual orientation is not exclusively heterosexual. Um, the other thing I'll say about queer, just a quick little historical um, point that you might want for conversations that you have is that when we think about the uh, BIPOC community, uh, people of color, uh, queer was a, a term that was adapted that sort of separated people of color from just that white, Caucasian, heterosexual um, uh, term of being gay. Uh, when during the HIV AIDS uh, uh, epidemic back, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, that particular uh, disease was closely associated with white Caucasian uh, gay men. And so a lot of people of color adopted the term queer um, because they felt like that was more reflective of, of who they were as a community. So just a quick little uh, tidbit about that. And then sometimes, or not always, uh, the Q in LGBTQ doesn't always mean queer. It could also mean questioning. Um, so if you see that, sometimes just know that. And this term describes someone who is questioning their sexual orientation or gender identity. Okay, so again, such a, a broad array of terms um, that are used, but these are, are what I would say central terms that you see most often.
Hi, I'm Jackson Bird. I'm a YouTuber and writer from New York City. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I also happen to be a trans guy. Pronouns are words we use to refer to each other or to objects when we aren't using their names. I used one right now. There. That's a pronoun. Most of us just learn about she, her, and he, him as pronouns for individual people, but lots of people use other pronouns like they, them, ze, here, and more. Sometimes people get confused or even upset about these more gender-neutral pronouns as if it's somehow a personal affront on them, but we naturally use singular they-them pronouns without thinking about it. Like, if you saw an abandoned phone at a cafe, you might tell the barista, hey, someone left their phone behind. And according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the singular they pronoun has been in use in the English language since at least the 16th century. For us trans people who have maybe had to work very hard to be seen in the world as the gender that we are, pronouns are particularly powerful. If you're a cisgender person, in other words, someone whose gender aligns with the one you were assigned at birth, just imagine what it would feel like if everyone insisted on referring to you with a different pronoun than the one you use. It's frustrating, it's demeaning, it feels like no one is listening to you or respecting a core part of who you are. And that is why someone's pronouns aren't optional. What they tell you their pronouns are, that's the pronouns you use. They aren't a preference and they aren't up to you to decide which pronouns to use for someone else. That's something we all get to declare for ourselves. And quick pro tip, even when you're talking about someone in the past tense, maybe telling a story about them before they transition, you should still use the name and pronouns they currently use. If you've already exchanged names, you can start the question by saying, hey, by the way, I use he, him pronouns. What about you? It's always good to say your pronouns too. Don't just ask theirs because again, you're making them feel like the odd one out as opposed to welcoming them in. I first started experimenting with he, him pronouns with trusted friends long before I came out publicly because for me, those pronouns were an important part of my male identity that I wanted to get used to and see if they felt right. A weird thing about pronouns is that even when they do feel right, they can still feel uncomfortable for a while as you get used to them. Like, even if your old pronouns never felt right, you likely did use the same pronouns for many, many years, and change can take time to adjust to. And here's another little secret. At least at the start, we trans people sometimes use the wrong pronoun in our heads for ourselves. Doesn't mean we're not on the right path or not trans or whatever, it just means that brains are weird, and it's okay for change to take time. Now, if after all of that, you still trip up and say the wrong pronoun, here's what to do. Correct yourself and move on. Don't make a big deal out of it. Plenty of people have brain farts and misspeak all the time, but the more you treat it like a quick slip up, the more the other person might believe it actually was just a slip up and the less likely you are to put them in danger. Hopefully you won't have to educate them too much, but if they're super lost and you don't feel like being a teacher that day because you don't have to be a teacher every day of your life, Maybe point them towards this video, or even my book. I have a book called Sorted, Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place. So I wanted to, to cue that up because I think for a couple of reasons, that's such a great uh, presentation. 
Um, I think, you know, you can have someone that's a subject matter expert, uh, but then there are real life people living this thing, breathing this thing. And so I think to hear from someone trans um, and to hear them explain how pronouns should be used, the importance of them, it just speaks volume. So then the question becomes now what? Like you've gotten a little bit more grounded in what's happening in the world around us as it re relates to gender and sexual identity, but now we need to bring it on home, right? How are we gonna make this applicable to our kids? So what I've tried to do time and time again when we have these tough talks is really give you grassroots where to begin, right? So what does the talk, or as I often say, the talks really consist of, right? So just remember there are multiple effective components in parent, adolescent, you know, sexual, gender, health communication. Um, some of these things are the extent of communication. So how frequently are you talking and in, in what capacity? How deep are you going into these conversations? Always just remaining mindful of where your child is, whether it be age, the questions they're asking, uh, informational style. You know, I often say like, don't make it be a lecture, right? Let it be just as casual as what are we having for dinner? Uh, where do you think we should go this weekend? You know, make it be, make it fit the way you normally talk and have conversations with your kids. The content of data that is, is discussed, I think we have to, when it comes to gender identity and sexual identity, we have to do our homework, right? This is one of those areas that I think parents and guardians are afraid to tackle because you're just so afraid you're gonna mess up. And I think to uh, the young man's point just a minute ago, it's gonna happen. Nobody's gonna get this right. But I think the more you can do your homework and the more you can come to the table with terminology, with some experience from other parents and kids, the better you're gonna be. Uh, when and how the communication occurs, right? So we wanna try to insert these conversations when it's authentic, when it's natural, right? Um, and then the overall environment where the conversation takes place. Obviously, you want to be in situations where it's going to be supported um, or your, your child is going to feel supported by whoever might be in the room when you have these conversations. All right, so some conversation starters, right? What are some things that you might can ask to sort of get the ball rolling? Um, perhaps you're observing um, or maybe you've overheard some things. So these are some questions you can ask. One, what does the media teach you about how boys and girls should behave, right? Pretty, pretty simple, straightforward. Two, should boys and girls be treated differently based on their genders, right? Three, is it okay for boys and girls to act in ways that are traditionally viewed as typical of the opposite gender? So here we're, we've, we've talked a lot about sort of the sexuality piece, which again, like I said, doesn't necessarily mean there's a romantic attraction involved. But I think we also have to put emphasis on what belief systems and what ideals do we support, celebrate as a family unit, right? That is trickling down into how our kids think about themselves and how they think about others. As always, do's and don'ts, right? There, there is some, some really positive, progressive, let's move the conversation forward, conversations that you can have. And then there's some that can kind of set you back and, and put you in a corner. So some of the don'ts 
is don't assume your child's gender expression is a form of rebellion or defiance, right? No assumptions. Don't prevent your child from expressing gender in public or at family activities to avoid it, making you or someone else uncomfortable, right? And I think we'll, we'll talk, I'm sure in the Q&A, we'll get into a little bit more of unpacking like what that could mean uh, in terms of family disconnect, detachment oftentimes because every family is different. Uh, don't try to shame or punish the gender expression out of your child, right? So going back to that whole notion of, of uh, conversion therapy and making your child feel like something's wrong with them and that they would be better if they were somehow different or converted. Don't block your child's access to gender diverse friends, activities or resources. Again, I think sometimes there's this assumption that if my questioning child or my child who now identifies as LGBTQ is around other LGBTQ kids, then oh my God, like that's the end of the world when in fact they need a support system. They need to have people that, I, that they can identify with. Don't blame your child for experiencing discrimination, right? So saying things like, well, if you did this, or if you didn't act like this, or if you didn't talk like that, then you wouldn't experience this. You wanna completely remove blame from the table. All right, also don't belittle or ridicule your child's gender expression or allow others in your family to do so. Again, I know this is a, a really sort of tough situation sometimes, but it may mean some separation. It may mean some what we call come to Jesus uh, moment meetings with family members about, you know, if we're going to come around, this is how it's going to be. And if it's not, then me and my child probably aren't going to be able to spend much time with you all at all, if any. Dudes, okay, talk and listen. This comes up every single time, right? Not a singular talk, multiple talks. Not you always wanting to sort of preach at or lecture about these things, but really listen to where your your kids are, where, where's their heart space as it relates to these topics. Um, parents who talk with and listen to their teen in a way that invites an open discussion about sexual orientation can help the child or teen feel loved and supported. Parents should have honest conversations with their teens about sex and how to avoid risky behaviors and unsafe situations as well. Providing support, right? Taking time to come to terms with how you feel. This is one I probably will emphasize over and over again. I think it's so easy as adults to project. Uh, we also, we love our kids and we want to protect them from any hurt, harm, danger, bullying, all of those things. But there's also something to letting your child figure things out, right? You, you, you've supported them, you've given them the arsenal, you've been having the conversations, but you've also got to let them find themselves in the midst of their own identity, right? Parents should develop common goals with their child, including being healthy and doing well in school. So we also don't want everything to become about identity. We wanna create this holistic approach to growth and development as well. Uh, staying involved, parents who make an effort to know their, their teen or their child's friends, know what they're doing can help them stay safe and feel cared about. Be proactive. 
Parents can access many organizations and online information resources to help you learn more about how to support your child, um, other family members, and even their friends, right? So every, it's, it's, it's that village approach, again, um, when we think about how we want to go about supporting our kids. Um, I thought that it would be good to sort of insert a real life story, right? We're not talking hypothetically here today. Um, you may be listening in, um, sitting as part of this tough talk today and very much in the midst of trying to figure out how do I support my child? What are some of the right things? What are some things that maybe I've already been doing wrong that I can kind of correct? So this is a story from um, one young woman. She says, over a year ago, um, my child began wearing dresses. Uh, what began as a preference, uh, he would change from typical boy clothes to a dress whenever he had the opportunity. Gradually became the way he wanted to dress always. If given a choice, he would choose to wear a dress every day. Um, we've sort of talked about this in a previous Tough Talk um, when we talked about uh, having a, a diverse, inclusive library and, you know, having books that address these very topics um, early. There are books out there that uh, address this very topic. And so these are some of the things that this particular mom has done. And I think it's great sort of advice, tips for how to handle this situation and, and how to be supportive. So she's done things like expand her vocabulary, learning more words to describe um, her son and kids like him. So again, going back to those key terms. Um, so terms like gender fluid, gender non-confirming, gender queer, coming to know what those terms mean, talking to a lot of parents of gender non-conforming kids as uh, we help each other with the questions that come up for all of us, right? Because again, there is no one size fits all. Nobody has all the right answers, but you can certainly glean insights from other parents who have been, are going through what you're going through. Checking in with her son to see how he feels, right? Um, making sure that that mental health piece, right? That, that he or she feels supported. Um, if they are having dark thoughts or if they are feeling very uh, just heavy and negative uh, about, you know, what they might be experiencing at school, it might be an opportunity to have them sit down with a counselor or a therapist to sort of talk through that to make sure that this isn't something that is going to be psychologically harmful in the long run, right? We want to intervene as quickly as possible. Um, you know, talk about challenges, making friends, um, that's something else that if you don't feel like you have all the answers for um, a counselor um, or other kids that have gone through what they're going through is really helpful. Uh, being flexible, right? Knowing that uh, there's going to be some mood swings, there's going to be some, some mood uh, changes, some things that happen as they deal with the real life you know, things that are coming up, other people projecting their own uh, self-worth uh, stuff and self-esteem onto, onto them. These are all things that come up. Um, knowing that you're going to have grandparents sometimes that are supportive and perhaps other family members that aren't. She's talked about how she's had to deal with all of this. And all of this, um, this scenario I've just sort of painted out for you, uh, happened or has been happening over like a nine-month time frame. Right. So just be uh, patient with yourself. 
give yourself grace as you come to grips with wherever your child may be and just know that it's not a race it's a marathon which you've probably heard me say before as well um, I always always like to kind of talk about some some mass media that you can incorporate into your home, um, into the informational style um, that I talked about earlier. Um, I think uh, one great example that's not overly sexualized, uh, but still has a a great component where you can see what the child's experience is with their peers coming into their identity, but also what a loving family, supporting family looks like is not only the Love, Simon movie, but the Love, Victor series. Um, the movie you can find anywhere online, uh, Love, Victor, the series um, comes on Hulu and they're now in their second season and just got renewed for uh, season three. Um, organizations, there's a number of them that you can um, join um, if you're interested in just being around other families, parents, folks. Uh, PFLAG has been around for over 40 years now. They have chapters in every state across the, the country. Um, and then previous Tough Talks. This isn't our first time digging into this notion of gender identity, sexual identity. Um, so if you wanna go back and check out our previous Tough Talk on having an inclusive or diversive library. Um, and then we've also had a Tough Talk on how to talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. Um, so that sexuality piece. Uh, so these are just a couple of different resources that you can continue to glean insights from. And I always like to leave you all with a challenge. Um, think about a real world example over the past year. There have been so many things, really, if you think about uh, the last several years, whether it's uh, Caitlyn Jenner uh, from the Kardashian family uh, who uh, transitioned. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff right now in pop culture, like with little Nas X. Uh, you're again, not forcing these conversations on your kids, but going back to some of those questions you could ask, you know, how is the media showing up in their lives? Using that as a conversation starter, but also asking them how they feel about certain media topics that are coming up. But I challenge you to think about what you can pull from real life experiences, things that are happening in the news and pair it with those do's the things that you wanna be doing, support, being proactive. How can you pair that together to have a conversation with your child about gender and sexuality? Thank you so much, Dr. Corey. That was definitely extensive. Thank you for digging in so deeply. Um, I've been polling some educators, um, other parents, um, as you were speaking with some questions for this evening, because this is this is definitely like like I said in the beginning, this is one of those instances where the questions are are plenty and everyone has a different slant on the question. So I'm just going to we're just going to go for it and try to get all these questions answered. The first one is um, for a parent whose child is coming out to them in any fashion, whether it's gender, sexual, whatever it is, um, is it okay to grieve or feel upset that you're, that you're dealing with, you know, a coming out situation? And, and then how do you handle the support of your child through that grief? Absolutely. I wish there was almost a mandate for every parent of a LGBTQ plus or questioning child to have to go to therapy because it's going to bring up so much for you. 
I mean, you could almost for a moment take your child out of the equation and you're, you're forced to deal with any type of suppressed, uh, you know, experiences that you had, any trauma that you may have, um, you're, you're really going to be forced to, to reckon with that. So I think with, to the point of your question, it's absolutely okay to grieve. You probably are going to grieve because naturally parents, we, have, we hold a dream for our child. Right. I often use the example uh, with my own mom. She very uh, spiritual woman, uh, dare I say, religious woman um, who prayed with me in her belly that God would give her a boy. And she says, you know, she says things like, you know, if you give me a boy, I'll give him back to you. You know, so she had a dream for me before I was even born. And I think most parents do. And coupled with that is the fact that you want to protect your child from any possible hurt harm, rejection. So already going in the door, there's a lot of layers there. So know that that your child coming out or even questioning is going to bring up feelings for you. And I want you to be prepared to not only deal with those feelings, but don't necessarily feel like you have to deal with them by yourself. I think okay. that's, that's where we can uh, really get caught up and put ourselves in a corner if we feel like I'm the only one dealing with this and I have to deal with it by myself. That's right. And, and then that dealing with it solo piece in regards to who your community is. There are many people who may not have communities that would support supporting a child who is coming out. Um, and then when deciding to, you know, where to go and how, who to talk to, what, you know, what do you do? Like there's often with um, gender identity uh, issues in a family, there's a level of secrecy that can, can happen. And, you know, not being able to handle something head on, I think, you know, pulls away from some of the opportunities to heal through and move through and process. So how, how, how is that handled when you can't rely on your community, when your community may say, this is just wrong, or this is just the devil, or this is just anti, you know, maybe it's from a religious lens that says, like, you've got to fix this because it's not right, you know. So what I will say is one of the things that it's a hard pill to swallow, but you're going to inevitably lose some people that you care about when you have a child who begins to question or just finally comes out. It's just inevitably going to happen. It's happened since the beginning of time. What you have to keep in mind is that that has nothing to do with you or your child. And we want so badly um, oftentimes to be accepted and celebrated and it's just not gonna happen always. So I would say that you can either look at that as a true deficit, and again, give yourself room to mourn. You know, if you're, you're talking about family people, you know, blood, relatives, people that you've known your entire life to not have them as part of your everyday world, of course that's gonna hurt. And I, I, I hope you grant yourself permission to grieve the loss of those relationships, but I hope that you also know that that's going to create space to have and welcome in people who will celebrate you and who will celebrate your child. Um, so it's going to be almost like a reset for a, a lot of your relationships. You will see, it will, it will prove to you who were your true friends as well, who was really all about you from day one. Um, so I think you have to kind of look at it as a blessing in that way that yes, you're gonna, some, some relationships are gonna be altered, but you also find that you almost build a more firmer 
foundation of friendships, people that you can be your authentic self. So like even again, setting your child aside, you will see that you're able to show up in these relationships in a way that perhaps you weren't before through this experience of your child. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. Um, and speaking of supportive, um, earlier in the slideshow, you talked about um, people just needing to be allies and making sure that they have the correct information and they know how to, to talk to their children as well, children who may not have any of these instances come up in their own personal lives. Um, can you talk more about that? Like if your your child comes home and says, you know, mom or dad, I saw two men kissing or um, so-and-so at school says they have two moms or so, you know, like when those situations happen, what is the right way to handle that conversation with your children in that moment? And like you said, you know, it's talks. So it's not like I'm saying like, this is what to say today and you never talk about it again. <laughs> But like that first time is important to get right. So how, how do we do that as parents? So I think the first things first is mind your own reactions to things, right? And I think body language, I'm a huge advocate of communicating through energy and body language. So first and foremost, you want to create a situation where no matter what your child brings to you, they feel like well, mom, dad didn't get freaked out just by me having a conversation with them first. So just first things first, mind your body language, mind your energy as your kids are bringing you topics of, of any nature. Uh, but then I think you immediately ask them, well, how did that make you feel? You know, they may or may not have any sort of context for that situation. And that's totally okay. But I think starting with how they feel versus you projecting onto them how they should feel already sets you up for much healthier communication as they continue to encounter these things going down the road, right? So those are sort of my first two steps. But then I think you can also begin with your vocabulary, with the, the knowledge that you have about gender and, and how we show up for one another, then you can insert those bullet points into that conversation. You can say, you know, well, sweetheart, those two men that you saw, kiss, saw kissing uh, might identify as gay. You know, do you know what the term gay means? So you use it as a teaching moment. Now you don't have to go down the path of, you know, talking about dating and, and, and sexual encounters. It's, it's, that's not that moment. They just brought you a moment of witnessing two men kiss. So you deal with it as it comes and use each conversation to build upon the next one. That's right. That, that is definitely helpful because they'll bring it to us every time. They, they notice it, they're going to bring it for sure. Um, let's talk about phases, phases versus identity, because this comes up quite a bit. Um, when you know when a child is saying that they prefer to wear clothes a certain way when they when they say when a little boy like you brought up in the conversation earlier wants to wear a dress or um if a little girl says she never wants to wear a dress you know like these types of things and you're you know maybe this child is a four or five what how do you you know how do you manage as a parent when you're navigating these issues you know like is you know people may say it's just a phase they're just, you know, this is just a personality thing, you know, um, or is it an identification? Is it, are they trans? You know, how do, how do parents know? Where do they, like, where's the meter? Where, you know? <laughs> so I think this is another one of those, like, it depends on your community. It depends on your environment. So there are absolutely communities where 
kids can wear whatever they want to want to wear to school and that is accepted and when I mean accepted not even so much from the peers but like administration like everybody kind of has to be on board for people coming to school dress how they want to to dress so that's sort of like the first point of entry it could be just like there are just uh, rules around what your kids can and cannot wear to school. And I think in those situations, you have to have a conversation with your child about rules, right? Rules, regulations that we as adults have to just abide by, right? So again, multiple layers here. Uh, but I think you could have a conversation if that's the situation about, well, honey, you can't, you just, it's against the rules for you to dress like that at school, but I'm, you're welcome to dress how you want to dress at home you know, or if we're out and about. So I think you have to set up parameters for those types of things, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to belittle, demean your child, right? About how they want to show up and how they want to express themselves. But you do have to weave in parameters because again, that that is how we as adults have to live and be and breathe. You don't just get to go out and do what you want to do all day, every day. That's just not how the world exists. So I think if we bring it back, you know, sort of full circle moments to instances like that, that makes it a little bit easier to process. Um, and then as your child gets older, again, think about that spectrum. Like we said, if, if as they get to, you know, high school, perhaps there are this more lenient as to how they can dress and how they can show up to school and express themselves. But I think you have to treat it based on the environment in the, that they're in. And then I think, too, as parents, we owe it to our kids to be very honest about the realities of, of these environments, meaning that if, if you wear a dress in this particular environment, these are some of the repercussions of that. You're not trying to talk them out of showing up and expressing themselves in a way that feels authentic to them, but I think we do owe it to them to let them know I'm, I'm your mom, I'm your dad, I'm always there to, to protect you, but not everybody feels and loves you, you know, the way that I do. So I think you have to present all those various sides. And you're speaking about preparing them for the environment that they're in. Um, and then, and then too, like as a parent, you know, when we navigate these environments, there's all types of communities that we can participate in. When do we, you know, when is it a point where our community can be sabotaging our efforts or not, you know, like when, you know, when you're at the school that your child has been in since kindergarten, we're here now in fifth grade, puberty is setting in, there's some new choices being made. And this school organization that you feel home in might not be, you know, supporting new decisions that you have to make as a family. You know, it can be uprooting, like, you know, when, how, when and how as a fam, as a parent, do you, do you fight for your kids in a way that like, you know, it's difficult, right? When you're the one who has to become now an activist because you're dealing with a root issue in your own home. Um, but whose responsibility is it? When is it time to fight? Like, you know, what do those conversations look like? Right, and I think as parents, like you, you want to always, this is another thing we haven't also talked, you're looking for patterns of behavior. You know, when, okay. we, think about, when we think about phases, you know, if, if this is something that maybe your child has only been doing for a couple of weeks, that might be a phase. But if they're asking you, if your little boy might be asking you to wear dresses now and we're three, four months in, it may not be a phase anymore, right? And I do, I do say over and over again, if you are on the sort of cusp of like, is it a phase? 
I think they might actually be leaning into this a little bit more. Then you, you don't have to sign up for a live term of counseling sessions, but it might be worth scheduling just a few sessions with a counselor so that they can, you can have that confirmation or that affirmation that, no, this, your child is actually identifying now as, you know, A, B, C, D. But I think it's, it's, it's again, it's, you can't make assumptions um, mm -hmm. and you can't think that it's just, you can't think it's just a phase. You can't just assume that it's just a phase. You have to do the observing, the witnessing, having the multiple conversations to see what is my child saying and is this a pattern of behavior? You're describing a lot of work from it's the parent's lot. perspective. You're describing, yeah, you're describing a lot of work. You're de describing a lot of community involvement, you know, through therapists and counseling. Um, you know, what if that's not what you can, like, what if you feel like you can't do that as a parent? Like, you know, what else can be done? Like, if you're looking at this situation, like, I do not have it in me to deal with this. What, what can be done? I think that's fair. Again, I think that yeah, you might have a moment and that when I say a moment, it might be a few weeks. It might be a couple of months where you've just kind of sort of regroup and figure out what can I do? Maybe you're feeling depleted in terms of like financially, what can I do? You might be depleted in terms of just time and energy. If you have multiple kids and a job you're trying to work, maybe you're going back to school. These are all real things that we as adults have to contend with. But my hope is that at the end of the day, you will know that how you show up for your child is going to make or break them, right? I hope that at some point when you get past or get over the hump of wherever you are with your feelings about this that you know, like if, if my child doesn't have me in their corner, who do they have? So That's it right. really is gonna come back to you at some point in some shape or form. So as soon as you on a, on a mental health level can, can sort of muster up that energy, even if, like I said, if it's just a matter of getting them in with a school counselor, somebody who has the training somebody who has the, the line of questioning that can sit with them in a safe space. That's what, if you can get them there, then you, you're doing the work, mm -hmm. you know, I think, but you, you've got to get them to a place where they feel safe, where they feel heard and they know that they matter to you as their parent. That's right. Um, there was an entire section on your slides about the pronouns. And this is something that, you know, we've definitely been dealing with, um, I've learned about the pronouns in my adulthood and my current generation. I believe that, you know, having different pronouns is probably I was, you know, 35 years young when the, that was first introduced. Um, and it's and I will have a slip of tongue really easily. Like it's really hard for me sometimes to sit up and to remember to be mindful about that. Um, and I know that it, the generations before me, like the, everyone older than me is having an even more difficult time with dealing with that, you know, they're like, what are you talking about kind of thing? Um, how, um, how important is it right now for us to get that right? You know, how, you know, and how do we teach our kids like early on? I mean, I feel like some schools with progressive education, that's already embedded in some of the curriculum, but how important is that? And, um, and how early should it be introduced? Absolutely. It's, it's crucial because at the root of the pronoun conversation is someone desiring to be respected. And I think that is a universal 
want, desire that you have, whether you identify as LGBTQ plus or not. Um, everybody wants to feel respected and everybody wants to feel um, like who they are matters to someone, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we, we should instill that out of the gate with our kids, um, respecting one another, um, respecting you know other people's boundaries. We've talked about consent on some of our um, previous calls. So we wanna start that early. And I think if we can always bring it back to, this isn't just about like somebody trying to make me do something I've never done before or like trying to control my language. It's not about that. This is truly about respecting what, what how another person feels. You know, and like I said, if you can think about it through that lens, because it comes up with race, it comes up with, you know, just your your profession. Uh, it, it's it's every respect shows up every way, every shape, every form. And so I think if you can sort of take the ego off the table when it comes to this person's asking me, I, I, I don't know anything about that. Or I, this is just a respect thing. They're just asking for you to respect them. And I think what the young man said before is like, lead with your own. You know, if you're unsure, if you go into a situation and you don't know how some people might want to be identified, you know, lead with your, your own. Say, you know, I, I'm, I go by he, him, his. You know, what are your preferred pronouns? And that's it, like it's done, it's over with, it doesn't. And if you forget, if you make the mistake in the conversation, most nine times out of 10, they are either forgiving or they'll correct you. They will say, you know what? Actually, I prefer to go by they. And you, you, you just integrate that in as much as you can. And that's it. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sure. And it's all about integration, adjusting, you know, and you, you said it right there that respect is what is foundational here. It's just that everyone has a basic human desire to be respected and it's a need that has to be addressed. So, um, and that should be enough for us to, you know, you know, be empathetic and participate accordingly. That should be enough. Um, you talked about uh, community and sometimes losing some people. And um, as you were, you know, you were speaking about that, I was thinking about like, man, like if I had to force some family members even to say like, you know, they are they, you cannot say that they are a she or he anymore. They are a they, you know, that they wouldn't do it. You know, like <laughs> that would be the end of the conversation. You know, is it fair um, in certain instances, especially for close family, for, for, you know, parents with close family members who just cannot, it's just not in the wheelhouse, right? In this lifetime to get this right. Um, is it fair to have boundaries? Like, you know, we just don't talk about that with our grandparents, or we just don't talk about that with our aunts or uncles, like that kind of thing. Is that fair to introduce to your children? Absolutely. I think that you have to, I think you just have to. Um, I think for people in mind, um, and again, it's not to always be about making someone else comfortable, mm -hmm. but I think that to your point there, I remember um, one of my favorite quotes from Oprah, she said that, Racism will be around until all the racists die, right? So I think that same rule can kind of apply. There are some people who they're just never gonna embrace respecting another person. They're never gonna embrace taking the time to learn a pronoun. They're just not gonna do it. 
It's just not in their DNA to do it. And so we have to come to grips with that, right? And so one of the ways we come to grips with that is setting those boundaries, having those conversations with our kids. Like, look, grandmama and grandfather love you, but they're not going to call you they. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't mean that they hate you. It doesn't mean that they're, uh, you know, sending you to hell. They're just not going to take the time to call you they. That's it. Don't take it personal. Maybe one day they will, you know, it'll get so (laughs) second nature that they will, but don't look for it. Don't expect it to happen. And I think if you can sort of set your kids up to to look at life that way, then everybody's going to be much happier than today that that is for sure that's the total truth yeah you know i think too what i'm saying and maybe you've seen this too you've got some kids nowadays they 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 are not gonna let it rest they're gonna be they like not. Oh, granddad i'm they and you need to get on board because this is what it's gonna be and so i think letting them, have, you know, letting them have that 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 voice for themselves sometimes don't always feel like you gotta be the big bad you know, person to step in and, you know, let your kids have those conversations too. Cause I'm seeing some confidence in some of these young kids nowadays. And I'm like, yeah, that is how we need to show up and let people know, you know, what, what we're about and what we stand for. So. That's right. So we can let them lead. Let them we lead. can let them lead in all their confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There are definitely cases where the kids are more confident than I am personally with, you know, because we can't negate our upbringing. We can't, you know, we were, we came from a place and we are here now and we're all like our, all of our collective experiences are who we are in the present. So, you know, I think, you know, a lot of what I've studied in my own research is, um, you know, celebrity influence and role model influence. And I think when it comes to conversations around gender and um, sexual identity and, a lot of the things that we've talked about um, on these tough talks, I think Will and Jada are great examples um, for the openness, right, in conversation that they have with their kids, uh, Willow and Jaden. And I think Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union have been a great example um, with their daughter Zaya. Um, so I think if you're looking for folks that have already been having these conversations or looking for tangible examples of conversations they had, those are two family units that you could pull from. Yeah, that's helpful. And then this is a question I often ask. I'm going to ask it again this evening. We, we don't have much time, but we have a little bit. So what happens if you've gotten it wrong and you need to track back? So we're, we're now like, you know, now I have the 13 year old. I got it wrong for 13 years. And now I need to like, you know, dig in and fix some things. So what, what can I do as a parent to, to help that? Tell your child, admit as much as I know it's going to humble you, say to your child, you know what? I got that wrong. I got to admit to you, I, I have gotten a number of conversations that we've had recently or over the years wrong. But if it's okay with you, I would like to start trying to get it right. Don't say, don't even make the promise that it's going to be perfect moving forward because that's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got to first acknowledge that you've gotten some things wrong first because you now you almost have to sort of press reset on your child to be able to trust you you know Mm -hmm. like they need to be able to know like mom and dad makes they make mistakes you know and they're willing to own those mistakes 
And I appreciate that. I value that about them. And then I can also lead, you know, I can, I can lean into that and become that thing where I make mistakes, I can own it. Right. So again, it's that, it's that role model influence. But if you're a parent and you know, you've gotten it wrong, you've had a reaction that your energy, you've, you've shut conversations down you've just shushed them. You've done all the things, right? Start by saying, I know I've gotten it wrong a lot, but I want to start today getting it right. How do you feel? Start with a conversation about how do you feel? What's coming up for you? Is there any way I can support you? Bare bones, start there. That's that really great. That's a great note to end on. Yeah. You know, we have to start there. You know, and that's where I think that's where we go every Tough Talk Tuesday, where to start. You just start there where you are at your capability with love. You know, how can I help? How do you feel? That's it. You know, that's it in a nutshell. Um, I have, you know, this conversation definitely could go like all of them could go on and on. We're going to be respectful of time. Um, but this has been great, Dr. Corey. Um, I know that our listeners will have learned so much from this conversation and it'll bring up questions, you know, to come. And, um, and I thank you for this evening. Thank you again to all the folks in the background, to Katie in the background for always producing things behind the scenes, all of our explorers, families. It's all, always great to be able to, to support you in this way. We love these tough talks. It's, you know, it's going to become, it's really become foundational to a lot of my personal work in this company. I love supporting parents through these things, um, through these conversations, through raising their children. It's so important. And we all have to do what we can because it takes a village. It really does take a village. So thank you again, Dr. Corey. This is Kisha edwards Gansey again, signing off from World Explorers Group. Thank you so much for continuing to be in our corner. Our Explorers families are the best. We sign off with love. Thank you again, Dr. Corey. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. As they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know, it's quite the tall order. But guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out, one day at a time, together. Until next time, live, laugh, go explore. Thank you.